wherever you're directing your thoughts is ultimately going to shape the direction of your conditions and what you create. And so obviously, if you start to think about what are the priorities, what are the focus, what's the situation of my future self, what do they care about, what really matters to them, and then you start to direct your thoughts at that, it engages what psychologists call deliberate practice. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, cut from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt. Welcome to episode number 282 of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and we are welcoming you in to a new episode, a conversation with another brilliant mind. But before making an intro and telling you what we're learning today, I want to take the time to give you love for tapping in with us. Thank you for showing up for you. We are grateful to have you as a part of our community of high performers. And on that note, we are joined by a like-minded high performer in this episode in just a few moments. And he's going to guide us through a conversation where you're going to be able to walk away with number one, being able to utilize the tools of the past, present, and future for your benefit. And yes, I am referring to the past, present, and future as tools. You will see why shortly. The alignment between our higher self from a spiritual perspective and our future self as we merge psychology and spirituality throughout this conversation. Tactical tools for you to hit the ground running directly after you listen to this episode for deep personal exploration to understand what it is you want from or for your future self. Why bigger goals, yes, bigger goals are actually easier to pursue than smaller goals. And I'm going to be fully transparent with you. I was absolutely blown away by this concept because it totally expanded the way that I thought about goals and visions for my future self. So make sure you stay alert for that in this chat. And delivering us all of this information is our friend, Dr. Benjamin Hardy an organizational psychologist and author of eight books which have sold nearly one million copies. You will see why his work sells the way it sells. His work focuses on the psychology of exponential growth and transformation, future self-science, and entrepreneurship. These words don't say enough about Ben. Truly a beautiful conversation coming your way that we're about to dive into. But before moving forward, you know I'm going to remind you the importance of spreading the good word. There's a reason you chose to do this. Of all of the things right now, right in this moment, you could be listening to music or watching Netflix. I always say this. You could be doing anything, but you are here. There is a reason for it. You are here for a reason. There's something within this episode that you need to hear. And I bet there's someone in your life that needs to hear it as well. So share this episode on social or word of mouth or text or email. However you share, just share. And we are so grateful for that. Now, without further ado, we bring to you episode number 282 with our friend, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dr. Ben, welcome to Decoding Success. Love your body of work. Super excited to have you here. Really excited to dive into this. So thank you so much for joining us. Of course, Matt. Happy to be with you. Let's do this. First question for you. I mean, th this is probably the proper way to kick off any conversation. How are you? Ooh. I'm doing really good. I am in a deep process of I'm in between chapters in my life right now. So using kind of the language of 10x is easier than 2x. I'm stripping a lot of my 80% away, which I'm sure we'll go into. But yeah, I'm letting go of a lot of things that got me here that are not going to get me to my next chapter. And it's beautiful. I'm creating that space. There's a funny quote from Aristotle where he says that nature abhors a vacuum. And I think what he means by that is, is that if there's empty space, something's going to fill it. If there's an empty plot of dirt, weeds are going to grow. And so there's always stuff trying to force its way in. And it's beautiful if you create that space. So I'm doing that right now. I really love the fact that you seem to be in such a receptive place of embracing this change, of embracing going from season to season. What's your advice for the people tuned into this? And also, what's your advice for someone that doesn't embrace change like that to accept change from season to season? I think that one is, is and this kind of fits with all the research on future self, that I'm not my past self anymore. And so just accepting that what got me here won't get me there. And I have no anger or any forms of negative feelings towards my past self. Even, by the way, addiction. Any forms of addiction can be viewed from a view of celebration when you let them go because they got you here. You know, like they were a solution to a problem. They were your best solution at the time, even though it becomes obvious that at some point you you know let it go. So I, I just think it's helpful to recognize that you're not your past self. You're not even the same person you were a week ago. And to just continuously 
let go of things that are your past self, but not your future self, and to do it a form of compassion, love for your past self, and a form of celebration when you see something that no longer resonates. I'm just using the language 80%, using the 80-20 principle. Whenever something is my past self, I call that part of my 80%. Whereas if it's more related to my future self, that's part of my 20% that I'm going to optimize my life for. But you know, I think it's just celebrate when you see something, have higher levels of awareness and say, oh, that's my past self. I'm not, you know, and then you get better and better just letting it go. What are the top reasons we hold on to our past self? And I, I could assume some, but you know, from someone that studies this, I'm very curious. Like I understand that, you know, maybe people don't want to embrace change, maybe whatever it is. I'm just curious, like top three reasons. I'll give you a lens from the past self and a lens from the future self. So one is that you're not deeply connected to your future self. The more and more you get connected to your future self, who you want to be, what you most align with, what's most desirous towards your future self. There's a lot of research that shows that the more connected you get to your future self, the better you operate in the present. It makes sense because you're operating with intention. And so one reason why it would be hard to let go of change is because you're not that connected and committed to your desired future self. And so you're continuing to distract yourself with present and past self relationships, activities, etc. Like you're just not that clear connected to your future self. And the goal is, is that you're actually viewing your present life from the view of your future self rather than operating from the future. Sorry, rather than operating from the present towards the future, the more connected you get to your future self, the more you're actually operating from the future into the present. You're bringing the future into the present. And so one obvious reason is just that you're not that clear, not connected to your future self and not letting the future self call the shots. The second one, though, is really all about. So one of my favorite quotes is that the system is designed to defend the system. The system is designed to defend the system. That's true of politics. That's true of your life. And for ourselves as people, there are two systems. One is internal and one is external. So your internal system that is designed to defend itself is your subconscious. Dr. Robert Keegan is a Harvard psychologist and he wrote a book called Immunity to Change. It's an amazing book and it talks all about how we have a built-in immunity to the changes we want to make. And that immunity is what he calls hidden commitments. Hidden commitments being your past self. In the past, you made certain commitments, even say when you were 10 years old and then you maybe had a traumatic experience and some commitment you made in your mind is, you know, I'm never going to do X or, you know, we make all sorts of things that become a part of our identity. One of the core kind of definitions of identity is that which you're most committed to. So the system is designed to defend the system. One of the reasons why it's really hard to make change is because subconsciously you've got a lot of commitments that you've made in the past that are keeping you operating the way you are, are basically in opposition to the future you want. The second part of the system is external which is just you've designed a life, habits, relationships, maybe a business, or you're in a job where it doesn't resonate with where you're trying to go. And you know, you're going to have to confront that and start to have conversations and make adjustments, whether that's to your work, your job, your relationships, your friends, your habits, um, those things like you're gonna have to change your life sure. externally. Absolutely. Man, I have a fuck ton of questions right now. <laughs> Good, man. I'm excited. Wherever, wherever you want to go. I want to talk about future self, right? I feel like to know your future self, you need to know yourself, period. Am I mistaken for thinking that? You do. I, I think that all progress starts by telling the truth. And the more honest you are with yourself, the more deep you can get about who you want your future self to be. It is also important to realize, though, that just as you're not the same person as your past self, your future self is equally not the same person as you are today, which is why. But yeah, that takes a lot of a deep work to start to peel away the layers, I guess you could say, and start a lot more honest with yourself and start to realize that a lot of the things that you're striving for in your future either no longer make sense or were created because of fear or because of comparison or because of friends or because of social media, like actually catching all of the goals that you have and that none of most of them weren't coming from you in the first place and just peeling those away and start. So I, I agree with you that you got to get to know yourself. Okay. I think it's really helpful to realize your future self is a different person and to start to kind of connect with those differences is helpful as well. So are you saying that we can essentially turn inward to get to know who we are at our core by shedding the programming, the conditioning, the parenting, all of that, while at the same time getting an idea of who our future self is as well? Yeah, I think you can do both. Okay. Um, I can get really clear on who my past self was and, and think about who my past self was and why they were operating the way they were operating, whether that was me a week ago or whether that was me 10 years ago. I'm not the same person as I was a week ago. And a really helpful, it's helpful to regularly look back and appreciate and recognize differences between your current self and your past self, even a week ago, just to say, how am I different than I was a week ago? What do I now know that I didn't know back then? What progress have I made since then? You know, what would I do differently if I could relive that week? Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's helpful to recognize that you're, you're not your past self. There's a great quote from 
Dr. Daniel Gilbert. He's the one who's kind of pioneered a lot of the research on future self. He also gave a TED talk on the main stage back in 2014 called The Psychology of Your Future Self. He's done a lot of beautiful research on this topic. But one of the things he said is, is that your present self is as fleeting as the present moment. Mm-hmm. Now, I, that's not to say I don't think there's a core there, like your consciousness or whatnot, however you want to view it. But even that, like how you see the world and how you operate and how you, you know, I love the quote, you don't see things as they are, you see things as you are. And so even how you f- see the world is different from how you did in the past. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we have to, I get maybe this is just my assumption, we have to take things from our past self into our future self, no? We do, but it's best to actually let the future determine which things you bring. Mm. So this may sound weird. A lot of people, they let their past dictate the present and the future. And Albert Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And so once you start kind of connecting more and more with your future self, you actually let the future dictate what you do in the present and even how you frame your past. Because the past is obviously the events occurred, but how you frame it, how you view it is a reconstruction. They say memory is a reconstruction. So you're always viewing the past from the perspective of your current self. So yeah. So we should be working from, I mean, from what it sounds like, we should be working from future to present versus from present to future. Yes. But also, as weird as it sounds, when it comes to your past, you want to be working from present to past, not from past to present. Mm. So usually people are letting the past be a domino to the present. One of my favorite quotes is from Brent Slife. He's a psychologist. And he said, it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. Main thing here is, is that in the present, I can go back and look at any experience and I can either see it as a liability, which is an event that is costing my present and my future. That's a trauma, essentially, where I think, why did this happen to me, right? Or in the present, I can transform that experience into an asset and all of the ways in which it happened for me, right? And continue to squeeze the juice. And so that's present operating on the past rather than the past operating on the present. I love that. Ben, I have to ask you a random question. How the hell do you remember all these quotes? Dude, I mean, you're, you're, you're giving me uh, quote after quote. I'm like, I mean, there's, there's people that like remember movie scenes and like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I watched that movie. I don't remember that though. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I honestly think memory is a skill you develop, but this has been my 20%, I guess you could say for a decade, you know, I've spent the last, you know, 12, 15 years studying psychology and studying uh, these ideas. And so it's, it's just kind of like, it's the world I live in. And so to me, it's, you know, it's a, other people have their own. This is kind of funny. When my wife and I, we went to Ireland. So after we graduated from our undergrads, we did a program called WOOF, Worldwide Organization for Organic Farms. And okay. so we lived on a, a farm and this is a worldwide program. And you work on some farm and you get paid room. You don't get paid. You get room and board and you just live there. Well, we lived on the farm on a little island in Ireland. And I'm only bringing this up to talk about memory that we lived on a blind goat farmer's farm. And we literally milked his goats. And, but the only reason I bring this up, because he was physically blind, it was his house was a mess. So mm-hmm. dusty and stuff because he couldn't see it. Yeah. Right? But he knew his way spatially around things because he was blind. He would feel his way around and he knew where things were that we just take for granted because we can see things. Like And so he knew spatially where everything was. He's like, Ben, go get me the scissors. They're in the third drawer down in the drawer like over there. And then like when he's talking about going and mil- milking the cows, he's like, you know, Three rocks, you know, you'll see the big rock over there and three rocks over. You'll see like the, like he knew his way around because that was the world he was operating in. And so his memory was built around that. And so I only say that my memory is built around, I guess you could say what I'm building. You know? I love and that. Yours is probably the same. We all have a memory and kind of a working model of how we're living. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to try and merge two worlds potentially here. The two worlds I'm going to try and merge are the psychological realm and the spiritual realm. You know, When I hear you talk about future self, I want to know how much that aligns with what we hear in regards to higher self, higher self, you know, being the the individual that makes the quote unquote right choices. And, you know, by putting that in quotes, I'm trying to take away the judgment from the word right. But for example, I'll put it into more human context, like me going to get a slice of pizza today after I had a great workout in the gym probably isn't the best thing to do. Right. So like my higher self would be, all right, let's have, you know, grilled chicken and string beans or whatever it is. You get what I'm saying. I'm curious how much future self and higher self are in alignment. I think that they're very aligned. You know, everyone's got their own orientation towards faith and spirituality, but I I think that you could use them synonymously. I think that from like a purely call it 
psychological realm, you, you, you might just say future self and use that as the operating system for making intentional choices in the now, such as like, there's a lot of research that says if you're connected to your future self, you're probably going to eat better, right? You're probably mm. going to avoid things that are going to damage your future self. <laughs> but I do, I use, I use the spiritual in a lot of ways to help me clarify my future self. And from one view, I view the future and the past as simply tools, right? They're tools for operating in the present. If I'm clear on where I want to go, that helps me to shift where I am right now. I actually like the quote from Dan Sullivan to give you another quote, and I'll probably give you 50 others. <laughs> but Dan, Dan said that the only way to make your present better is by making your future bigger, right? And so like your present right now is largely being driven by whatever views you have of your future, right? So if me, as an example, getting a PhD, like the only reason I was going to class is because I saw myself at the end of the day finishing that degree. If I didn't see myself getting that degree, I would have never actually gone into all those dumb classes, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything we're doing right now is based on the future that we most see for ourselves. Sometimes this, sometimes psychologists call that the default future, but you know, so reshaping the future and even reshaping the past is merely a way of operating better in the present. So how, so yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say like, how do we start doing that? Right? Like I, I understand the concept. So, I mean, it, I understand like it, it gives us a more deliberate way of intentionally living in the present moment by understanding what our future wants. But from, you know, I guess a practical perspective, someone that's listening to us right now, how do they start this? I mean, I think that giving yourself space, back to that idea of Aristotle, that nature abhors a vacuum. I think that most people are so busy and distracted. I mean, even Cal Newport talks about this in his book, Deep Work, that we are we live in a world that is heavily infiltrating us. And we also have a past self that we're largely unaware is driving us. And so I think, I mean, I love the quote from Alcoholics Anonymous that all progress starts by telling the truth. I think having regular time, not just once a month, I'm going to do this, but you know, you could do it morning journaling, go on walks. I think having a more introspective design in your life. Me, I love going on walks. I love journaling. I love having conversations with people like you. Like it doesn't have to be 24 seven, but it is designed in your life whether on a daily or weekly basis, that you're going to be in a process of reviewing. For example, I could review the week. How'd my week go? Where, you know, where was I on autopilot? Where, you know, what went well? And so I just think having a regular process of reviewing and thinking things through and having conversations and also asking yourself harder questions. For example, what do I actually want? You know, what in my life right now is frustrating me and why? I, I honestly just think like you honestly have to start getting better and better at communicating with yourself, getting honest with yourself, seeing when you're out of alignment, and then ultimately getting to a place of connecting with your future self, asking yourself the question, where do I want my life to be in 10 years from now? What do I want that to look like? What's the priorities of my future self? What matters to them? I think if you, one of the things that they've even talked about in the research is, is that most people, so we've already talked about this, that rather than taking the present and pushing that onto the future, you actually take the future and you, you know, largely push that onto the present. Most people, they take the present and they just kind of to use a psychological term, they project that onto the future. What I mean by that is, is that most people, they don't think very heavily about their future. I actually love the quote from Peter Thiel. He said, if you don't, like, if you don't, if you don't have a definite view of your future, and if you don't learn to master it, then you're just going to assume it's random or that it's going to look a lot like the present. And so a lot of the research on future self says that most people think that who they are today is for the most part who they're going to be in the future. And the reason for that is simply because they haven't spent much time thinking about it. And so that's why I just say first spot is to just design in time, whether it's on a weekly basis, however much time you're willing to give yourself to actually critically think about these things and who you want your future self to be. One other thing I'll just say is, is to not have perfectionism about it. I see the future in the past as a draft. In a week from now, I'll be clear on my future self than I am today. And maybe there will be big shifts. Maybe there will be small tweaks, but it's just a continuous drafting process. You sparked a question. If we don't envision or if we don't know what our future self looks like, do we continue to repeat the present? To some degree, yeah. I mean, often, yes, largely we're actually just operating from the past, from the hidden commitments of our past. But we're also, we're probably mostly just trying to adapt to the present, mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, because life around us is changing, right? Right. Um, so it's, it's going to be more of a random personal evolution. A lot of it's going to be just you habitually operating and you just kind of moving, you know, just doing what you've done. Um, yeah. Because back to the idea of the system is designed to defend the system. We do that for internal security. Like we want to feel safe. We, we don't want to be in fight or flight. So like we, we build habits, we create environments, we create situations, we have jobs, we have income because we want things to feel stable. And so, yeah, if you're not thinking very deeply about your future, I mean, everyone does. As an example, anyone who's listening to this call, you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s, like chances are 
you have vague ideas about maybe like maybe you want to retire at age 65. Right. right. Like those are vague ideas. Probably a lot of them came from society and you're doing a lot of what you're doing for some of those reasons, but you're not thinking that critically about it. You're not being that strategic. And so chances are you are for the most part just being in the you know, operating from your past, not operating as your future. Right. I'm going to give you a quote. I mean, you definitely have more quote tallies if we're keeping score, but I'm going to give you a quote that I think ties into this. It's something that I potentially run into a little bit myself, you know, and don't quote me on this verbatim because I'm not as good as you at it. <laughs> I'm going to quote you heavily on this. <laughs> it's something along the lines of we overestimate what we can get done in a year and underestimate what we can get done in five or something along those lines. Maybe it's the reverse, right? So I'm just really curious how you would suggest someone avoid the pressure when building out, you know, when asking those hard questions, what do you want in one year? What do you want in five years? When you had said that, I literally said to myself, well, Matt, I want to be married in five years. And then once I started thinking about that, as we're in this conversation, you know, I'm not necessarily remaining present. I'm feeling a little bit of pressure or whatever the case may be. How do we avoid what comes up when we start to think about our future self so that it doesn't impact us in the present moment? Well, so there's a key idea here, and it's called psychological flexibility. There's a lot of research on this. And to be psychologically flexible means that you don't overly identify with your thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. You actually view yourself kind of back to the quotes, the spiritual stuff. Let's go to Michael Singer, you know, in, in the, uh, the Untethered Soul, he talks about how you're the observer of your thoughts and feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that those thoughts and feelings are coming up for a reason, right? Those are kind of like your past self putting up its defense mechanisms. And, it, you know, those are the fears that are popping up to keep you safe in your system that you've comfortably built around yourself internally and externally to not yeah. face the hard truths. And so I think to try to avoid those hard feelings isn't going to advance you forward, but there are definitely better uses of them. So like as an example, and kind of my version of that quote is that it's better to optimize for where you'll be in 10 years from now than for where you'll be in 10 days from now. So like as an example, like I really don't care where my life is 10 days from now, like 10 days, you know, like or even today, I'm not that worried about 10 days. And that's, that's not to say I'm not operating in the present. I'm totally with you. I'm totally here. But I also know that it actually matters more where things are at in 10 years. Mm. And that's at least how I see things. And so I'm making investments now that matter then, but I'm also just using that future to decide what I do now in terms of usefulness and strategy and priority. That's not to say that I'm not fully happy and embracing the moment. It's just kind of using the future as a tool to be intentional. Yeah. So going back to Michael Singer, I, I didn't read The Untethered Soul. I actually read his other book and I'm blanking on the name of it. Which one? Are you talking about uh, The Surrender, Surrender Yes. Yes. I was actually told to read that before The Untethered Soul. I was told if you read The Surrender Experiment before The Untethered Soul, you get more of a backstory of his life, which I did. I mean, it was fantastic. Then I started reading The Untethered Soul and I just couldn't get into it, which has happened with numerous books. And then a year down the line, I'm like, wait, why couldn't I get into this? This is great. But, you know, you, you quoted him, right, in regards to like not attaching to our thoughts and our feelings. How do we do that? Well, I think that one is, is that like while you're having them, like obviously like emotional intelligence 101 is just to like become aware of it usually often we're trained to suppress our emotions yeah so, like me as an example we have three kids that we adopted from the foster system we were literally in therapy yesterday talking to our 15 year old son and how he's become a master of avoidance because he learned to shove them down and honestly to stop feeling them so like he's not even aware when certain feelings come because he's gotten so good at suppressing them that for his own safety so i think a big part of them is actually just to be aware of it that you actually see and feel those things and to then i identify where it's coming from and, and its meaning. Like, so for me, I, if I'm thinking about my future self and, I'm, and what I want, and all of a sudden I'm starting to feel these insecurities or whatnot, which is just basically my past self saying, oh no, don't do that. That's, it's not going to work. Or it's not going to work. Right. Whatever. I kind of just identify where it's coming from, that this is fear speaking. Like this is, and I think you just get better and better at realizing that's not you just seeing it, experiencing it. You can talk to someone about it. You can journal about it if it's something pretty heavy, but usually if you just kind of look at it and see it and kind of recognize where it's coming from usually it doesn't really exist that much longer yeah you know you you, you then can start to think well what would be a better approach mm. right like you just kind of you're just talking with it you're seeing it you're observing it i mean for me it, just as an example and, and we go through things some things are really big some things are not as big like just as an example yesterday i did reactively get kind of upset at my son 
but then you get faster at, at transforming it and me going and apologizing and, and recognizing. Yeah. So those are small things that you can transform pretty quick. So rather than just ignoring it and just pretending nothing happened. Big things, though, like if you're making a big decision, a big change, those things can sometimes weigh on your mind for a really long time. You go through a, a heavy process of learning to let it go, whether that's like letting go of your company, letting go of your job. Like as an example, me with this book with Dan Sullivan, like this was the third in a trilogy. And we actually had a plan of writing 10 books together. Mm -hmm. um, but it became very clear to me that it didn't really work anymore. But it took me about six months to get really honest about that. And then to finally have some hard conversations about it, which ultimately led us to no longer doing books together, which is we're both very celebratory of what happened. But yeah, some things take more time than others. Yeah, I'm curious to learn if you feel like there are specific tools that help you tap into that future self at a potentially faster rate. So for example, you talked about asking yourself harder questions. And then my mind goes to, you know, Tony Robbins has this exercise that I've been doing for years. And I've been telling myself for the past two weeks to do it, and I haven't done it once, but encapsulates a whole bunch of things, one being visualization. So I'm just curious, is there any particular tool that someone could walk away from this with and start tapping into? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to give you like an insane set of protocols and stuff like that. What I will say is back to the idea of space, truly, Truly, That's give yourself it. space. Yeah. Like, no, like we fill it, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Look at your calendar. If you want, if you want to get more meta with it, truly start scheduling your your weeks so that mm. there is space for that, like that just deep exploration. So like a lot of the research on flow has been broken into two categories. And this is like psychological flow, but also even business flow is you got deep focus where you're focusing really deep on a task and like you're like, you're, you're actually narrowing, like the goal is to narrow as much as you can. But there's the opposite side of flow, which is more recovery based where you're actually expanding. So that's like you having novel new experiences, maybe driving home being in the shower. And I think you want to design for both of those regularly. Like I've even spoken to lots of entrepreneurs. I actually spoke at a group where the minimum net worth of these people were 50 million and they were billionaires and stuff like that. But a lot of these people, they had just driven so hard for so long towards one goal, which was just like sell the company. And a lot of them had been planted in those companies because they were family businesses, but mm -hmm. like they had their head down for 20 years and they did very little popping their head out to see the forest. And, and even though a lot of them are very successful, a lot of them are now very unclear on who they are and what their future is because is all they did was just drive for 20 years towards one goal. And now that it's over, it was kind of like the astronauts who went to the moon and came back and they didn't know what to do after that. Right. So I think that it's a much better process to actually design in your days, weeks. Like as an example, on a, on a weekly basis, maybe, and I actually prefer optimizing around a week rather than a day. I used to be a lot more focused on how much can I accomplish each day, whereas now I'm more preferred on like, what are the few things that would be important this week, and then let the week determine the days, but designing some of those days for just recovery, right, could be just playing hanging out with like, honestly, just designing out the need to always be busy, and to give yourself space. And I think the more you actually do that, the more you can actually start to connect with your future self a lot more. I mean, there's obviously tactics within, you know, but I, I think that that's 101. I think most people aren't doing that. And then they quickly fill the void with distraction, social media and other things. And I think just creating the space to think, to have conversations or to listen to quality material that will trigger some thoughts. Absolutely. Pull it out in your journal. Yeah, I love this. I mean, I'm sure you get a ton of questions, but what's a question you wish more people would ask you? That's a really interesting one. I mean, your questions are really good. I think that each question is going to be kind of relevant to the audience. Mm. I liked your question on higher self versus future self. I think that that's a really good question to explore. One of the things that's helpful for me that I think a lot of people don't ask. It's just kind of being strategic towards the future self. Like, what are the priorities of your future self? Okay. Like, truly to the idea of that your future self is a different person. Like, what, how do you clarify the priorities of your future self? Like, first off, you'd want to put them into a context, maybe think five, 10 years into the future and ask genuinely, if that person's a different person than me, what do they care about? What are they focused on? What does their life look like? Have you ever read the book, As a Man Thinketh? I have not. I, is that by James Allen? Yeah. 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 See, I remember some things. I just don't remember quotes. No, I, I do have the book. I just have not read it. It's so small. I recommend it. The only reason for that, I actually just re-listened to it. It's like a literally a 50 minute audio book, but I re-listened to it this morning, which is why it's coming to mind right now. But one of the things he just talks about in that book that I think is really cool is, is obviously like wherever you're directing your thoughts is ultimately going to shape the direction of your conditions and what you create. And so mm -hmm. obviously, if you start to think about what are the priorities, what are the focus, what's the uh, situation of my future self, what do they care about, what really matters to them, and then you start to direct your thoughts at that, it engages what psychologists call deliberate practice. So Malcolm Gladwell, he kind of popularized the idea of the 10,000 hour rule. I think that Naval Ravikant 
corrected it by saying it's not 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 iterations, which I like because we're always iterating towards whatever we see for our goal. And so, you know, and so by just taking the time to regularly map that out, clarify it, it's kind of like a plane altering its course. Now you're iterating in this direction rather than in this direction, which is shaping not only what you see and what you do, but it's literally shaping who you become. And so, yeah, I just think continuously clarifying the priorities of your future self and what matters to them, and then using that as kind of the filter for what you're iterating yourself into as a person. So going back to Gladwell and uh, Naval there, when he said iteration, does iteration more align with repetition? I don't think so. I think it's the quality of repetition. So what Gladwell Mm. was talking about was the quantity of repetition. He was talking about 10,000 hours. He was talking about quantity of experience. Whereas I think what Naval is talking about is quality of experience and the fact that as an example, you as a podcaster have iterated so many times that if you were to compare this interview with one, call it two, three years ago, you've adjusted how you ask questions, how you, and so like, it's about iterating, but that iteration is usually typically toward a goal. And so I look at iterations as just adjustments. It could be adjustments in how you do things or in the direction you're doing things or in why you're doing things. And so it's just, that's why I think referencing the past is so powerful is for me to say, you know, how am I different from where I was a week ago, but also kind of setting the sail who's my future self and what matters to my future self. And then using that to iterate my current path, my current focus, and maybe even the letting go of things that don't matter as much anymore. I think that leads me to ask you from a personal perspective, like you talk about seeing your past self and how you've been different over the course of a week. Like what are some of those changes for you personally? And I'm asking this with the intention of helping people see these things potentially for them. Maybe they don't directly align, but just to give people ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I think that There are a lot of different ways in which you can see your past self being different. Mm. It could certainly be in like the actual behaviors and the situation of your life and how you do things, but also it could be why you do things. So I'll give a few examples. I would say if I was to look at my life right now versus my life a year ago, there's there's actually a lot of differences. Like one being like, and I'm talking like physical differences. One is, is I actually walk a lot more. Whereas last year, you know, my habits were more built around like waking up and those habits were built for a long time, going to the gym and working out and weightlifting. Whereas like physically now, like I actually probably walk five times more than I go to the gym. I probably go to the gym once or twice. So like that's like a, an actual behavioral habitual difference. And but like even a lot of the things with my my business, my situation. But I think one thing that's helpful is looking at how you do things and why you did them, which is different from your past self. So as an example, my past self, I think was generally more scarcity based, I would be a lot more aggressive at approaching opportunities or situations really, which is actually a good habit. You know, and I learned that from even great self development books and whatnot, like actually like being proactive and putting myself out there. But I think one of the things that's changing in me that I'm seeing is I'm actually, you know, call it stripping away the 80% and creating space. And rather than me overly moving towards my future self, in large part, I'm creating space so that my future self can come to me. What that means kind of, and I still catch myself, you know, quickly with the idea of weeds growing up, like maybe catching myself, busying myself or, but I'm getting better. And I think it it fits with spiritual development, but also emotional development to create space and to slow things down rather than needing to be in such a hurry, slow things down and honestly, let things come to you a little bit more. That doesn't mean I'm not aggressive in in creating opportunity, but what I mean is that I'm I'm catching myself, slow things down, being a lot more deliberate, whereas in the past I was a lot more impulsive. So like that's an example of seeing some some tangible differences in myself, but also ways in which I operate that are different. Yeah, one thing I really appreciate that you just shared, I mean, you just merged the two worlds of psychology and you've been doing that throughout the episode of psychology and spirituality. You know, in the regard of creating space, I don't want to quote you verbatim here, but it was something along the lines of like you attracting that future self more than you going after it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I like James Allen, because he literally said we don't attract what we want, but who we are. And so I think when you create that space, first off, one of the biggest leaps of faith you'll ever make is letting go of something that is a current security blanket. I mm-hmm. call it the 80%, which is something obviously we just go deep into in the 10x book. But like, um, yeah, I think it's a massive leap of faith to let go of something that you've been holding on to. I'll give multiple examples right now, just because you caught me at an interesting time. So one would be the collaboration with my, you know, with Dan. Like that was a, a great opportunity, a great security blanket, and then we could have kept going. But I just knew using the idea of letting the future determine the present rather than the present to determine the future, I just knew that it was no longer resonant with my 10X future self. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one we let go of. Even being in that coaching program, I let that go, even though I have a lot of friends in there and a lot of community there. I've let go of a lot of my coaching programs or masterminds that I've been a part of. 
But even this, my own business. So my business right now, like I, I have a very high level group coaching program, which is awesome. I love it. It's very lucrative. And honestly, it doesn't even require enormous amounts of me. But I also know that it's using the language of the book, it's 2x, not 10x. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is, is like, it's not going to go 10x, but also it's not where I want to 10x. It's not my future self. And so I've even told everyone in that community that, that the program is ending this year. And so like, I'm just closing it down. And it's kind of like burning the boats below you. And that's about 60 or 70% of my current income. So that's creating space such that I can get clear on and opened up to what would be kind of the next call to adventure. How do you ensure that the space is filled with what it needs to be filled with? I think that that's a, first off, beautiful question. I think catching it. So like as an example, when you're creating that space, obviously stuff's going to come and try to fill it or you're going to try to fill it yourself out of fear. Right? Yeah. And so this is, I think, why you want a regular process of asking yourself, is this new opportunity or is this new pursuit or new thing? Is this truly aligned with the future I want or is this just a good opportunity? And it's, you know, and so I think you have to take hard looks at things, you know, and there's not like a perfect measuring stick. But even me right now, like because I'm opening things up, like there's a lot of opportunity that's presenting itself to me that or that I might even subconsciously be seeking. But rather than this goes back to the idea of emotional and spiritual development, being willing to not quickly jump into something, mm -hmm. but like actually creating the space to to identify and to like set it up different than you would have in the past and not need the certainty of jumping into something so fast. doesn't mean that you have to like, you know, stop all things and map everything out perfectly. I'm just saying rather than jumping into something just because it feels comfortable, and it'll give you the quick dopamine and it'll give you an initial feeling of winning or security or progress, questioning it harder and saying, is this what I would actually choose? Like, is this my future self or is this just, and I think you get better and better at being honest and not settling for something that isn't in alignment with your future self, even if it's something good. Like, you know, I love the quote, it's either a hell yes or it's a no. And mm. so it's like being a little bit more honest that like, uh, this is good, but it, it, it actually probably is a distraction. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no to this one, just opening up again for it. So I, I think, it, I don't think there's like some harder, fast rule, but it's just about, don't jump in so fast and analyze it a little harder and ask, is this something absolutely that excites you and that resonates with your future self? Or is this something that that's maybe good, but it's actually an, a weed popping in and trying to distract you and take you down some rabbit hole? Yeah, I love this conversation. We talked a lot about future self. Let's make a little pivot here. I have your books right next to me. The title alone of your books are are super intriguing, right? Be your future self now. 10x is easier than 2x. What does that mean, 10x is easier than 2x and why? Yeah, it's such a big and awesome question. I will say this is the obviously the third book with Dan Sullivan. And yeah, so 10x is easier than 2x from so many different dimensions. I'll give a few and then, you know, we can go back and forth whatever direction you feel is most useful. But let me start by giving an analogy. I'm going to give an analogy of my son, Caleb. He's 15 years old. He wants to play college tennis. So we live in Orlando, Florida. It's a mecca for tennis. Literally, there's tennis courts, tennis programs, tennis coaches, tennis academies. Like tennis is a big deal here, Florida in general. And so his goal is to go to college. And his, his coach recently asked him, you know, just asked him generally, what, what's your goal for tennis? What, what, what do you want to accomplish with all this? And he said, I want to go to college. And the, then the coach said, well, why don't you make the goal to go for pro? Mm. And Caleb didn't actually know what to say because that had never been something he had considered nor even maybe even something he wants that might not be in alignment with his future self. Maybe his future self doesn't even extend beyond college right now in his mind. But I thought it was a useful exercise. And, and I think it helps us to understand the difference between 10x versus 2x for a second. So basically, we drove home and I asked him about this conversation. I said, Caleb, firstly, don't worry about my opinion of you playing tennis like you if you want to play, you can play you do whatever you want to do. But I just said, firstly, let's let's look at this. Do you think that your current trajectory would get you to the college level? And he said, maybe I'm not sure. I mm -hmm. said, do you think your current trajectory would get you to the pro level? He said, absolutely not. It was obvious. Like, there's no way like the the, the pathway and the skills. This goes back to 10,000 iterations. Like the goal determines the process and the developmental process of someone even Caleb's age going for pro would look radically different than the developmental process, the quote unquote iterations. The 20% of going for pro is going to look different from the 20% of going for college. But to the idea of in psychology, there's a concept called pathways thinking. Pathways thinking means that, you know, whenever you have a goal, there's going to be a pathway of getting there. And so there's a question for you. Do you think that there are more coaches in Orlando? And there are many. Do you think there are more or less 
that could get him to the pro level or the college level? Oh, I'm sure there's more. Yeah. There's more that could get him to what level? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. To the college level, at least the pro level, you know, it would probably get a little bit more scarce. Exactly. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons why 10X is easier than 2X is, is that if he actually wanted to go pro, let's just say that that actually became his goal. We would have to hard look at everything he's doing Mm -hmm. and realize that almost everything he's doing would not get him to the pro level. That goes back to the 80-20, that if you have a much higher goal, almost nothing will get you there, which actually is useful because it actually helps you identify the few things that might. Mm -hmm. So as an example, if he truly had the goal of going pro, we would have to find him a totally different coach and a totally different process. We'd have to ask different questions. But by doing that, we would identify the few paths that are massively useful. If we actually went for that goal, we would probably find the best coaches. You know what I mean? Like we would yeah. we would probably find the best process and it would actually make him even getting to college a lot easier. So main insight here, and there's a lot of different insights, but one key insight is that higher goals have way less paths, as you said, scarce. Mm. And so those help you identify the few things that really matter and the many things that don't. That's one step. It's a way to reverse engineer it. Yeah. Well, it helps you identify what matters and what doesn't. It helps you identify the 80 from the 20. So as an example, most people, they really wouldn't be able to identify the 80 versus the 20. But if you make the goal high enough, it's a truth filter. It's an honesty filter. Like the way I learned about this, learned about this was from a guy named Dr. Alan Bernard. He's a decision-making theorist. And we were asked the question in a group, how would you raise your income by 10%? 10%. And Bernard, who studied this, deliberately and aggressively for a long time from a decision-making standpoint, he said, that is a really bad question. The reason it's a bad question is because there's almost infinite things you could do to raise your income by 10%. Right. He said, if you made it 10X, there's almost nothing you could do to get you there, which means that almost everything you're doing right now is a waste of time. And so it, it forces a lot more parsing through and being honest about what's working, what's not working, what would work, what wouldn't work. And so it creates a lot more honesty and a much harder filter for everything you're doing, which if Caleb did that for his tennis, it would actually be so much easier for him to get better at tennis if he was going for pro, because he would then have to be so he'd have to take such a harder look at everything he's doing, even his nutrition, like, whereas right now, because he's going for call it 2x, which would be college, like, there's so many things he just doesn't even have to worry about. Yeah. I'm trying to formulate this question I have on my mind. It's going to bother me if I can't get this out the way that I want to. I feel like just because you strip away the things that won't get you to pro doesn't necessarily mean it would be quote unquote easier. That's that's what I'm struggling with here. Like, And I'm not trying to play devil's advocate necessarily. I'm just trying to understand how it would be easier. So yes, the, the path becomes clearer, but that doesn't mean that... Uh, do you get what I'm saying? Like, th- Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot more there's a lot more levels to the concept. One would be, you know, we wrote the book Who Not How, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going for 2x, which is linear, which means you're operating from the past into the future. That means you're just doing more of what you're now doing, right? Whereas 10x as we're saying is a much bigger future that has a much harder filter, which would force you into, you know, higher quality pathways. That's one reason why it would be easier. But to your point, another thing that helps is attention. So I I actually look at 10x as three things. One is its identity, two, its time, and three, its leadership. So like with identity, it's going to force you into your future self and to weed out the 80% of your past self. For attention, if you want to go to 10x, it's really about quality, not quantity. So as an example, like if I wanted to go 10x in something, say I wanted to 10x my book sales, or I wanted to 10x my YouTube channel, or just my love for my kids, right? So it's not just that the 80% is stuff you do. It's honestly that it's stuff on your mind. So as an example, if I have a higher goal, a much higher goal, a lot of the things that consume my attention, my cognitive load are going to have to go away. And I'm going to have to go deep on a few things. There's actually a really good book called Catching the Big Fish. But your quality and depth of attention is going to determine the return you get on that attention. And so I would say that most people, their attention to the idea of catching the big fish, most of most people's attention is at the surface. They're not going deep on anything. They're scraping the surface of many things, some good, some bad, but they haven't cleared that out so that they can go deep on a few things that if they do, 10X actually becomes very easy when you're just doing the few things called the 20% really deep and you've weeded out the 80%, whether you've eliminated it or you've delegated it and you've passed it to someone else. Yeah. So just as, just as an example, truly, I'll give myself as an example now. When I was a PhD student, I was a first year PhD student. This was back in 2015. I wanted to become a professional author. Now, I could have just set the goal that I wanted to write a book, which would have been a great goal. But I set a, call it seemingly impossible goal or a higher goal, a 10x goal using Dr. Alan Bernard's language, an impossible goal. 
So I had, I said, I want to get a six figure book deal with one of the major publishers. So obviously that goal is going to shape a different process than just writing a book. Yeah. Right? But that goal, because it was higher, forced me into my 20%. I had to ask some really hard questions. I had to say, I'd a- I-, I asked agents and professional authors, like, how do I get a six-figure book deal? And they said, well, you first off, they, they literally pointed out my 20%. They said, you got to have at least 100,000 email subscribers. You got to be a big blogger. You got to have a decent name to get that. And that's a 1% of 1% book deal. Right. Not that it really, they, that might not be relevant to other people's future selves. But the only reason I say that is, is that it actually heavily identified a 20% that I went all in on. And by going all in on the few things that are relevant, uh, you become really good at things. Mm-hmm. Like you you actually, you're no longer decision fatigued and all caught up in the 80%. You actually are going really deep and you get really good. You develop mastery such that you grow a lot faster than most people do. Like most people, they're not actually evolving or expanding very quickly because they're so spread thin. They're so distracted. I call it on the 80% that they're yeah. not going deep on a few things. And, and I think this is a really important distinction is, is that 10X is really about quality, not quantity. I know that people think it's about quantity because we're thinking you 10X it so you do 10X more. It's not. It's literally about 10X less, letting go of the 80% and getting 10 times better at a few things, developing developing that mastery, which makes it easy to get insane results. I'm just telling you it is. Yeah. It's funny because I just had this conversation this morning with a buddy. So it's very synchronistic. And I'm going to take that as a sign because I very much so fall into the decision fatigue category where uh, from a business perspective, yeah, from a business perspective, I mean, I don't struggle with putting on clothes. You know, I know some people like strip away their closets and, you know, they're like, hey, I'm only wearing three things for the rest of this year. But no, I get that. I get that. But Ben, I I only have you for a few more minutes. I want to ask you a few questions here. The first one being, I mean, you shared a fuck ton. I literally have I never come to any interview with questions outside of four. I have a fucking page full of notes. So on that note, if we knew what Ben knows, how would our life be different? That's an insane question. I'll preface it by saying this was this was asked to me. Are you familiar with Dr. Michael Gervais? Yeah. Yeah. He was on the show and he actually asked that question to me. And I was like, how the hell do I answer that? So I told him I'm going to steal it from him and I'm going to be asking everyone else that comes on the show. So it's really a question from him. <laughs> so I don't mind since you already brought up dipping hard into the spiritual. One is I will say that from my view of things, like I know that God is a reality. Mm. And so that informs a lot of what I know and a lot of how I act and a lot of how I operate. And so that helps me enormously in identifying areas of distraction versus areas of priority is that ongoing relationship. And I guess you could say communion or collaboration with God. Like yeah. to, me, to me, that that is a form of knowledge and a form of experience that does change a lot of things for me on a regular basis. Yeah. What makes God a reality for you? So back to that quote, we don't see things as we are. We see things, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't see God because that's just not what they see. That's not what they're looking for. That's yeah. not what they're paying attention to. And so for me, and it kind of fits with what we were talking about with psychological flexibility, which is not holding too tight to to what you currently see. Like I'm very open that my current self is very ignorant and my current self doesn't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to try to prove that. I've got no ego in this situation. I don't need to prove that Benjamin Hardy is right here. You talk to me in a week from now and maybe I will disagree with half of what I said here. I'm not saying I will. (laughs) I'm just saying I don't need to defend myself or or where I'm at. I'm open to it being adjusted. And I also know that my future self is going to know much different, hopefully better than I know now. So that's one thing that I think helps. And then honestly, just like you would seek anything, I think every person, if they're honest, they are seeking something. It might be seeking that next high. It might be seeking fitness. It might be seeking wealth. It might be seeking women. It might be, we're we're all actually, I've got a friend who's seeking video games all day, right? We're all seeking something. And I think catching what you're seeking is really interesting, but you can just as much point that to God and yeah. start seeking God if you want, and that'll change what you experience. Yeah. I actually, funny enough, I, I mean, I don't think I had meant this when I had gotten it, but you could argue from a spiritual perspective that no, it was meant to happen. But I played baseball and basketball at a very high level and basketball program I was a part of was ranked nationally. And this is in high school. So it was a, it was a high school team and all of my teammates had tattoos. So I really wanted tattoos back. Like I, I just wanted to fit in, you know, like I was like, I want tattoos. But you know, when you're 16, 17 years old, it's not legal for you to get a tattoo here in New York. But you know, I found a way to do it. And I have in God, I trust tattooed across my chest, which is why I bring it up. You know, at the time, it was really just a, a sexy saying to me, but uh, over the course of, I mean, this is 13 years ago, give or take. And yeah, it's developed more meaning. So I, I appreciate you sharing, you know, your perspective in that regard. 
One thing I just want to say to that, please, is, in my opinion, and trust is the number one word and trusting God, but also trusting yourself and eventually trusting others. For me, trusting my kids, right? Trusting my team, though. That's all core components of my opinion, quote unquote, going 10x or transforming yourself is higher levels of trust all around. Yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. There, I mean, there's sometimes I don't even trust myself, my own decisions, you know, or, or whatever it may be. It, it's interesting. You know, it's that might be the second topic that we have to bring you on here for. But I'm going to, I've been doing this random thing. I, I found it from this guy, Stephen Bartlett, who I absolutely love what he did. So we started to adopt it. I've been, I have three more questions for you. These two will come in the form of this particular initiative that I just started influenced by this guy, Stephen. I've been asking my guest to ask a question to our next guest. So I'm going to ask you the question that was just asked by our guest yesterday. And she had said, not knowing who was coming on the show next, she had asked, what do you wish you would have said to someone that you didn't say? I think I would say, actually, this may sound weird, and it goes with everything we're talking about, which is subtraction rather than addition. I think that there's a lot of things I wouldn't have said Mm. to a particular someone that had I just not said them, it would have been multiplication by subtraction. So in this case, I'm going to go the reverse direction and actually just say that there's a particular person who I've had a lot of friction with. And if I would have just not said 80% of what I said and been a lot more thoughtful with the 20%, things would be a lot better. I love that. Now, what's a question that we could ask the next guest from you? I'm going to ask, have you asked them, what's one thing, I guess, what's one major difference between your current self and your past self? Mm six months ago. I love that. That's good. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to first and foremost, let everyone know that socials, websites, links to books, all of that fun stuff is in the show notes. But one last question for you. This is probably my favorite question to ask. I mean, there was a lot here. I'm honestly getting the chills. The hair on my arm is standing up like you. You gave us so much here. But if Dr. Ben makes it to whatever year he wants to live to, he writes as many books, he has the programs, he hops on the podcast, whatever it is that you want to do, right? Like, you know, your future self better than anyone. You do it all, but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. I'm not asking you how you want to be remembered. What I'm asking you is the piece of advice that's attached to your name. So me in a hundred years from now, knock on wood, God willing, I make it there. And I think of Dr. Ben in this conversation. That's the piece of advice that pops in my mind. What is that advice? Oh man. So hard. Again, you'll ask me in the future and I'll give you advice, (laughs) but I would say if you boil it down, similar to what I said, similar to what's on your chest, I think, Mm. which is trust in God, but then ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. I think that the, what you seek really matters and question what you're seeking, question what you're, what you're looking for, question what you're accepting. And maybe you can seek better things. My, my future self will seek better things. And I'm not mad at my past self for what I'm seeking or what I've sought. But yeah, I would just say, you know, asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find. I love that. Ben, thank you so much for this opportunity, brother. I, I really appreciate it. You gave so much here. Like, I just want to truly express that gratitude because there's a lot of impact coming from this. So thank you again. Dude, it was fun. A lot of fun. I'm really happy about it. You just rocked with us on episode number 282 of the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend, Dr. Ben Hardy. If you're still tuned into this, listening to my voice come through your headphones, car, sound system, phone, or anything in between, there is a reason you found this to be a value. So throwing it back out there, the importance of being the beacon of light in the lives of those around you by sharing this episode. Whether you share it on social media, if you choose to do so there, make sure you tag us via text message, word of mouth, and convo with friends or anything in between, you are bringing value to them. Thank you in advance for your support by not only listening to the show, but sharing it as well. Also, I can only imagine that if you're still rocking with us right now, that you're interested in connecting with Ben, you already know the deal. Check out the show notes of this episode where you're going to be able to find Ben on social, his websites, books, and all of that good stuff. Tap in with us next Wednesday. I'm inviting you to our new episode next Wednesday. We drop new episodes weekly for almost five years now. We're about to hit five years in just a little bit. We're here to support you through these conversations, through the information, the experiences, all of that good stuff from our incredible guests. So use us, use us in every way possible. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.